Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. I'm excited because we've got an amazing story for you today. If you would, grab your Bibles, head over to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We're going to look at the first 16 verses today. This is a phenomenal story. We, we figured for Labor Day weekend, we would do a really upbeat, really cheery story for you. Uh, so we're excited about this. Acts chapter 5. Make sure you flip over to that. Instead of reading the text today, what I want to do is show you this video. So gather up the children, get ready and enjoy this cheery little video. There are some stories that end with a quaint little phrase, and they lived happily ever after. But this is not one of those stories. This is the grim tale of Ananias and Sapphira. The early church had begun to flourish, and all the believers were getting along quite splendidly. They shared everything they had with one another, claiming nothing as their own. There were no needy people among them. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to the apostles as a gift. Joseph was one such man who sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles as an offering. And oh, what a wonderful blessing it was to everyone. All the believers were encouraged and celebrated Joseph's selfless act. Well, not everyone. A couple named Ananias and Sapphira, who were counted among the believers, saw the way Joseph was admired and grew very jealous. He thinks he's better than us, they grumbled to each other. We deserve that kind of attention. They dwelt on it day and night. Finally, one night, they devised a plan to sell a piece of land, secretly keeping part of the money for themselves and giving the rest to the apostles. They would not necessarily say they were giving all of the money they received from the sale. They would just let everyone assume it, and presto, they would instantly be famous as self-sacrificing believers who surrendered everything to Jesus. So, with his wife's consent, Ananias sold the land, secretly kept part of the money, and brought the remainder to the apostles. But Peter saw right through Ananias, saying, Ananias, why have you let evil fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor dead. Everyone who heard the news was filled with fear. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, Sapphira came in, not knowing what had happened. Everyone nervously watched as Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? The room fell silent. Yes, she replied. That was the price? Peter responded, 
How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test God like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than she also fell down dead. When the young men returned, they found her body. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. By this time, the whole church, and in fact, everyone who heard of these things, had a newfound respect for God. So, unfortunately, there's no happy ending in this tale, but there is a warning here to take God very seriously. Dare I say, <laughs> deadly serious. <laughs> Wasn't that uplifting? <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have told you to get the kids together. But anyway, hey, it's in the Bible. It's amazing to me some of the stuff that we read in Scripture. And every time somebody tells me that the Bible is boring, I'm just like, are you crazy? Look at these stories. And, and this one is no exception. It's phenomenal when you read through it. And, and you try to put yourself right there in the moment and try to experience what the people there were experiencing. It's mind-blowing. You can see why they wrote this story down because they were like, nobody's going to believe this. we got to write this down so everyone knows about it. And it's in our passage today early in Acts chapter 5. And so uh, we're going to cover this story today. And I, I bet you that you're going to be surprised about what you'll learn from this story today because I bet it's not about what you think it's about. And actually that whole story goes through and it, and it wraps up in verse 11 and it says this. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Great fear gripped the people. It, it gripped the church. It gripped everyone that heard this story. And, and you might be thinking, man, I don't know if that's a good quality of a church, but that's exactly what was going on early in the life of this church. And, and the story of Ananias and Sapphira actually starts way earlier than chapter 5. It's a sad story. It's obviously not cheery. I lied to you. I apologize for that. But it, it actually builds to this, this moment when we see this story, and it starts clear back in Acts chapter 2. If you remember a few weeks ago when we were taking a look at Acts chapter 2, it said this, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now the believers, they, they were loving on one another. They were taking care of one another and they were selling things and selling property and houses and crops and, and they were giving the money to those who were in need and it's a phenomenal story. The church is growing and, and they continue to build on that generosity and a few chapters later you get to Acts chapter 4, you actually see this description of the early church in Jerusalem. It's a group of believers who are embracing the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and God is prompting them through his spirit to do things for one another and take a look at this in Acts chapter 4 look at verse 32 through 37 it says all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owed was not their own so they shared everything they had the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. 
I think it's amazing when you read that passage and especially that moment where it says no one was in need. Like no one had a need because when they had a need, they would just fill it. They took care of one another. That's the type of Christ-like community I believe God wants for his church. He wants to see each and every one of us loving each other that way and caring for one another. But so often, selfishness and pride and, and we get territorial and what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours and, and we don't take care of one another and we lose that love your neighbor as yourself commandment. Great power and grace were upon the apostles and they preached and they testified to the risen Savior. And There was so much unity in this early church. There was so much devotion to the cause of Christ that the people held all their possessions loosely like they weren't their own. That's exactly what this passage said. And they willingly shared them with one another. Not because they were coerced or not because they were guilted into it, but because they loved one another. They took care of one another. Those who sold land and houses, they would bring the profits and they would give it to the apostles. And the apostles were the ones who distributed the gifts to those who were in need. And it's kind of the way it works in the church today. Many of you, you give to the church, you give to a helpline. Every week we have boxes of food brought in here and we distribute those to those who need it the most. And it's interesting how it worked the same way in the first century. Now, two members of this group, their names were Ananias and Sapphira, they also had a field and they decided to sell it. Now, part of that profit, they kept back for themselves. It's not a problem. I mean, it was Ananias's property. He could have decided to do whatever he wanted to do, but where he crossed the line was he brought money into the apostle and he laid it at their feet in front of Peter and, and he pretended as though it was all that he sold the property for. Now, this hypocritical show fooled probably a lot of people standing there that day, but it didn't fool Peter. Not because Peter was wise and he had so much insight, but because Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe God used the Holy Spirit to prompt Peter to address the situation. See, he knew instantly that Ananias was lying about how much he sold the property for. And not only was he lying to Peter, but Peter tells him, look, you're lying to God. Take a look at verse 4. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. See, Peter's telling him, look, it wasn't that you brought the money or didn't even bring all the money to the church. It's the fact that you lied about it. You gave us the impression it was all about it. And not just lied to us, but you lied to God. That's where you went wrong. And then Sapphira shows up and she too lies about it. She lied to Peter and she lied to God saying that that was all the money that they had made. The entire amount was given to the church when it wasn't. And when her lie had been exposed, she fell down and died at Peter's feet. I remember hearing this story so many times in Sunday school. It was so cool as a kid hearing this story. You get so fired up over it like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're telling me this story. And, and yet, uh, the teachers, they would get up and, and sometimes they would act it out. And then other times, for those of you that were in Sunday school years ago, old school, you remember flannel graph. They would do it in flannel graph. But either way, here's, here's what would happen. And I don't know, maybe it was because we were kids and they were trying to protect us. But it seemed like they gave us the impression that Ananias and Sapphira died because when Peter called them out on their sin, they were so shocked they had a heart attack and they just kind of keeled over and died like from natural causes. But the more I've studied this text, the more I've realized they didn't die from natural causes. 
and I say that for a couple of reasons. First of all, Peter pronounces Sapphira's death before it ever happens. And then the timing of it and the place of it and what was going on around it. This was not natural causes. This was God's judgment on Ananias and Sapphira. Now, the question I have is why would God kill two people for lying, right? Because if that was true right now, all of us would be dead as well. Why would he take the lives of these two people? And I think that's a fair question for us to learn something from this text today. See, I think God's reasons for bringing Ananias and Sapphira to this place where they lost their lives actually prove several things. And and the first one I want to share with you today is that God despises sin. We serve a holy God, and he despises sin. It's so easy for us, especially in the church today, to gloss over the fact that God is holy, to forget that he is a righteous God, that he is pure, that he hates sin wholeheartedly. God despises hypocrisy. He despises lying. He despises sin, especially within his church. Sometimes when I hear this story taught and and pastors will get up and teach out of Acts chapter 5 and they'll make it into a tithing message. It's all about maybe tithes or offerings and that's not what the story is about either. See, the issue here is not finances. It's hypocrisy and it's lying. And this particular sin, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, is called out and dealt with swiftly and decisively, not only by Peter, but by God. God's the one acting in this moment. This whole thing reminds me of a passage in Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted others to think that they were spiritual, even though they weren't willing to make the complete sacrifice. They wanted everyone to think that they were generous, even though they weren't willing to be generous. They wanted the image of Christianity without actually living the life of Christ. And it's easy for you and me to look at their story and go, how dare they? I mean, how in the world could they pull something like that? Why, why would they even try? But yet, if we're honest, we do the same thing, don't we? And many times on Sunday morning, it starts by getting up out of bed and, and maybe he beat you into the shower and the kid's you know, can't find their shoe, and what are we going to feed them? we got to make the 9 o'clock service, and so we throw them a Pop-Tart, and we throw them all in the car, but you can't round them all up at the same time, and every time you get one of them in the car, another one's running a different direction, and it causes all this frustration, and you find yourself bickering and yelling on the way to church, and by the time you get to church and you get out, it's now closer to the 1045 service. You walk in, and you're frustrated, and you're upset, and you walk through the doors after you get yourself composed, And the greeter says, how are you doing? And what do we say? Praise God. Couldn't be any better. That's what we say, right? Yet in the church, it's where we need to be real with one another. Instead of hallelujah, you know, it couldn't be any better. I would rather hear somebody say, it's been a horrible week and I need to be here. Because that would be the truth. See, God doesn't want us to lie. He doesn't want the hypocrisy in his church. He wants us to be real with one another. I like the way David Guzik said it. He said it this way. Ananias' sin was greed in keeping with money, but his greater sin was pride in wanting everyone to consider him so spiritual that he gave it all when he had not. Their sin is imitated in many ways today. We can create or allow the impression that we are people of Bible reading or prayer when we are not. 
We can create or allow the impression that we have it all together when we do not. We can exaggerate our spiritual accomplishments or effectiveness to appear something we are not. It is too easy to be happy with the image of spirituality without the reality of spiritual life. God despises sin. He hates it. And this can be a troubling truth. Why? Because of the second point I want to make from this story of Ananias and Sapphira. It's the fact that we are vulnerable to sin. Every one of us, we're all vulnerable to sin. The case of Ananias and Sapphira actually illustrates the fact that we can be led into bold and flagrant sin, even when we don't want to be. We're we're tempted and, and we find ourselves sliding into this when we don't want to sometimes, but yet we still give in to it. Why? Because we have an active enemy. It says even in this passage that Satan was the one that laid it on his heart to lie to, as it says, test the spirits. Warren Worsby said it this way, we must face the fact that Satan is a clever foe. If he does not succeed as a devouring lion, then he attacks again as a deceiving serpent or an angel of light. Satan is both a murderer and a liar, and the church must be prepared for both attacks. Greed and hypocrisy and the desire for the praises of men all played a role in the demise of Ananias and Sapphira. Their sudden and dramatic deaths actually served to purify the church and to warn the church, not just 2,000 years ago, but today as well. Remember, verse 11 says that great fear gripped all of those within the church and even those outside that heard the story. And you might think that fear is probably not a great attribute or a characteristic of a good church, but I believe it is. I believe the fear of God is healthy for his church. See, right away, in, in early on in this church, in the church's infancy, God was making it plain that hypocrisy and deceit were not going to be tolerated within his church. The judgment of Ananias and Sapphira helped to guard the church against future pretenses. God laid the bodies of Ananias and Sapphira outside by the church for any hypocrite who might want to come in and do harm to the church. It served as a reminder to them. God despises sin, and we said it can be troubling because we know that we're all prone to sin. We're all vulnerable to sin. But the good news is that God actually doesn't just look at our sin, but he looks at our hearts. He looks at our heart. It reminds me of Samuel when he was looking for the next king and he's going to anoint King David. He doesn't know it yet. And he goes and he starts to look at all the sons of Jesse. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God tells him this. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, that's good news to you and to me, because that means even when we mess up, God knows our heart. He knows that we're at least trying to become more like Christ every day. And and if we're going to fail, we're going to fail forward. We're going to fail toward Christ when we fail. That's That's what we need to be working on, not hypocrisy and deceit and lying, because we know from this story, it doesn't have a good ending. Now, you might not drop dead right away, but it does bring death into our lives. The story isn't so much about lying, though. It's not about the laws and the rules within the church as it is about the hearts of the people within the church. Now, God not only sees the heart, but the good news is he's the one that protects his church. God protects his church. The lesson for the rest of the church through this death of of Ananias and Sapphira was not just for them then, but it's for us now. We need to know that God is concerned for the purity of his church. Now, here at Mountain View Fellowship, we know that. We work hard, and, 
and with our elders and with our pastors and with our staff to raise the bar on all of us to make sure that we're doing our best to walk in the steps of Christ. That doesn't mean we're perfect, by no means. We're, we mess up, but we want to fail forward. As I said before, we want to fail toward Christ, and, and we're trying our best to, to live godly lifestyles. Why? Because God said, be holy because I am holy. It's like Jesus told the compromising church in Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2, verse 23. He said, all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. See, we know that we serve a holy God who protects his church from threats not just outside, but also inside. And as leaders here at Mountain View Fellowship, we don't want to be those threats. And so we've got things in place to try to make sure that, that we don't stumble and we don't fall and we don't cause harm to Christ's church. It's the last thing that we want here at Mountain View Fellowship. This story is so incredible. I, I have to ask the question, can you imagine what would happen if something happened like what happened to Ananias and Sapphira today? Could you imagine what would happen? How would people respond? What would they do? Uh, would they get angry? Would they, would they get upset? Would they go to the apostles and go, how dare you? How in the world could you let something like this happen? Would they, would they withdraw and leave the church and, and stop tithing? Would they go down the, the street to the next temple and badmouth this church and, and the apostle Peter? What would they do? I mean, how would they respond? See, I love this story. I just absolutely love it. It's early in the church, and here we are getting ready to celebrate 15 years as Mountain View Fellowship is this new thing that God is doing, and we're doing everything that we can to to lead this church, and I've already confessed to you I'm not perfect, but even when we're not perfect and things don't go right and you approach me and, and you're telling me about things that you don't like or you're struggling with here at Mountain View Fellowship, I get to look at this story and I get to ask you, but did you die? See, isn't that great? I I just love this story. I mean, Peter is having to deal with the death of two people early on in this church. God struck them dead. Now, think about 2,000 years ago in that church. I mean, they're just getting going, and, and Peter confronts them, and they drop dead, and they have to take him out and bury him. How do you think they responded? What do you think they did? We're actually told exactly what happens, because you would think that that would scare everybody away from the church, that the church would fall apart, people would leave out of fear, and they would spread rumors about Peter, and and the church wouldn't be able to make their bills. But take a look at what happens, because we know that the church was struck with fear, but, but what happens next is incredible. Take a look at verses 12 through 16. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. See, we look at this story and we think the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira would actually serve to destroy the church, but actually just the opposite. Why? Because God was protecting his church. God loves his church and he's the one that is the shepherd. He protects his flock. 
both from outside and inside threats. It doesn't matter. He's going to protect his church. Why? Because he's jealous for you and for me. He's jealous for his church. Now, I know some of you struggle with that statement. You read that inscription, you kind of skim over it. I remember years ago reading how Oprah herself actually turned away from God when she heard that statement because she couldn't reason, she couldn't, she couldn't get it straight in her mind that God could be jealous. And the problem with that is we think that God is jealous the same way that we're jealous. It's completely different. See, God's not jealous of us. He's jealous for us. There's a big difference. It's like my wife Angie and I. I'm jealous for my wife. I'm not jealous of her. I'm jealous for her. We've been married many years now, and, and I've learned to kind of, you know, through that trust and everything, to give her more space and everything. But, man, early on, right after we got married, I was jealous for my wife. Like, I didn't want anyone else around her, and some young rutten buck would come by. Man, I would bow up. I'd try to make sure that he stayed away from my bride. Now, when we look at this church, we have to understand that this church is still in the honeymoon stage. It's just a few years in. We're only in Acts chapter 5, and they've already got people coming in lying and, and being hypocritical, and God is jealous for his church, and he's protecting his church. It's interesting so often in Scripture how the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Why? Because he's jealous for her. He loves her. And he's going to protect her. He sacrificed for her. He sent his son who died and rose again for her. And he's going to do everything that he can to protect her. This story of Ananias and Sapphira is amazing. It teaches us that God despises sin. And that scares us a little bit because we know that, that we're prone to sin. We're, we're vulnerable to sin. But yet God still sees our heart. He knows our intention. And he's going to protect his church. Now that might be scary news for those who are seeking to harm the church, but let me tell you, that's great news for you and me who love the church and love God. It's a bad deal for Ananias and Sapphira, but it's a good deal for you and me. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are a God who is jealous for us, that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross and he rose again so that not only would we have a relationship with you here and now, but that we could have a relationship with you forever in heaven. God, we thank you for that. Thank you for not counting our sins against us. Lord, as we claim Jesus Christ as our Savior, you pull us to yourself. We, you adopt us as your children. And Lord, for those who are listening to this today, and, and maybe they've never heard that before, I pray that your Holy Spirit would grab a hold of their heart, that they would receive you as Lord and Savior, Lord and that they would start this journey, this walk with you. God, we pray for your church, that you would continue to grow her. Even though we're not gathering, even though we're not meeting, Lord, we know that you're protecting her. And Lord, I'm praying a special touch for those who need it this morning. We've got people who are really struggling in this season, who have lost jobs, who are, are scared, they're nervous, their anxiety is at an all-time high. Lord, would you please minister to them? Would you please heal those who are sick? And Lord, would you be with us this Labor Day weekend as we, we celebrate uh, this time together, maybe with family? Um, God, I pray for protection. I pray that, that this COVID would, would be overcome that whether it's through a vaccine or whatever, that, that we would be 
able to start gathering again. Would you please make that happen? And, and Lord, we just give all these things to you. We know they're out of our control, but Lord, we know that you are still Lord over everything. And we praise you for that. Lord, I pray all of this continues to mold us and shape us into people who look more and more like you. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, We'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.